Hey, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Generosity Freak Show. I am your host, Brady Josephson, and today we get to chat with Greg Warner. He's the founder of Market Smart and a pissed off donor. Two things we talk about uh, we cover his journey into the nonprofit space and Market Smart, really using engagement fundraising, uh, a term and a book that he's actually written and kind of focuses on uh, to generate leads for nonprofits for planned giving, bequest giving, and major gifts. But then we also talk about his experience as a donor and what that has done for his business, but also his life and what it means for the nonprofit space. Uh, so it's a good perspective, I think, on each side, both uh, working with nonprofits and as a donor trying to do good in the world. We talk about generosity and some of his ideas of how we can grow it. Uh, we may have to bleep him out a couple times, so just a heads up there. But it's a spirited conversation, as always, with Greg, and I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go It's just another Freak Show, here we go I said welcome to the Freak Show, here we go It's just another Freak Show, here we go Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go It's just another Freak Show, here we go Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go It's just another Freak Show, here we go Hey, Greg, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Brady. Appreciate it. I, uh, we've, we've chatted a few times in the past, and so I was like, this is going to be a good podcast. I just know it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's kind of weird. I got to tell you stuff that I know you know. <laughs> we've talked yeah, about right, it before, exactly. <laughs> but now we're going to talk about it in public. Right. You're right. Well, hopefully it has the same kind of back and forth because I've always appreciated our conversations. So, you know, I want to spend a lot of time talking about kind of engagement fundraising, a term that kind of you've coined. You've literally written the book on it and more of kind of your experience and how this relates to generosity. But before we dive into kind of what you're doing, maybe just tell us a little bit more of like how you got there. You know, you're a pissed off donor is one of the things that, that you say, like, how did you end up in this place where you've written this book and doing the work that you do? Right, right. So I am. I. It, it's funny. Uh, so I, that's a good way to to phrase it. I'm a pissed off donor. I tell people that, but I'm not like walking around just being ticked off all the time. That's not, you know. <laughs> but but I do take the donor's perspective on really everything um, because I think that's important, and it's not often uh, taken. I mean, frankly, no mission statements have the donor as part of it. It's, you know, but they're a humongous part of the equation. So, um, so how did I get there? Okay, well, this was originally really a marketing company and I've been in marketing and advertising. I really wanted to have a ad agency when I was a kid. And um, this was a marketing agency for private sector businesses. And I would deal with CEOs or senior VPs, sometimes of uh, Fortune 500 companies, sometimes midsize or even uh, small businesses, but with like a couple hundred employees. And uh, we would generate leads for their sales teams. That was the kind of marketing that we did. It was all about lead mm-hmm. generation, lead qualification, lead prioritization. And this was uh, 10 years ago so plus. So we were uh, th- the concept of marketing automation, meaning automated pre-written emails, um, were, was really just in its infancy. So we were just starting to get into that. And in the private sector, it was called lead nurturing. In uh, fundraising, they call it cultivation. 
So I was running that business, building the business. We were just getting out of survival mode, essentially, which is the first stage of any business and starting to see some some uh, money where I could pay myself and, and so on. And um, I, I was getting pelted by my favorite charity. Every time we sat down to have dinner, there's telemarketing calls. So it was, um, and I had other experiences because my cousins created a foundation to honor my uh, my uncle who died from melanoma. And uh, that didn't work out so good because we really work our asses off to try and create some money for the cause. And I mean, like, like a whole bunch of us, a couple dozen, and we didn't really generate all that much. It was a lot of work for, for not all that much revenue. Um, and I don't know, I, I got a newsletter one time from one of my favorite charities that was very jargony. It seemed like it was written by a lawyer very off-putting in a whole bunch of ways. And, uh, and I just was like, this is it. I got to call up these people and ask them, what the hell are they trying to do? So and, I found out. And what did they that, say? <laughs> well, basically, you know, it's, it's weird. They didn't exactly know what they – in this poor lady. She's so wonderful. I won't say her name, but so wonderful and, and retired now. But she listened. She listened. And she was hmm. a director of annual giving – uh, individual, I'm sorry, individual giving for humongous diabetes related charity. And mm-hmm. she, and, and I knew the VP also, I got to meet the, mm-hmm. and we're still friends. And she was like, well, you know what, when it comes to this it, with major gifts, but especially legacy gifts, they didn't really know what the hell they were doing. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and, and she even admitted, she said, well, there's all these companies that are experts, so-called experts in this. And they've been doing it for 20, 30 years. So, so we sign up with them and we pay them a lot of money. And then they, they, they tell us what to do. They give us these templates and, you know, this, that, the other thing. And, and we just do what they tell us. And, and, you know, that's where I was like, well, okay. So first of all, you're mailing out all these like print newsletters. You're spending a lot of money. It ended up being hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. And, uh, and I, I said, so like, is this working? You know, are you getting what you wanted? You want what, what do you want? She's like, well, we need leads, really highly qualified leads. And we need to uncover hidden planned gifts that we never knew existed so we can steward people. So I said, okay, is it working? No, she says. So I'm like, so, so what's wrong with this equation? These are the experts, but they're actually, they're spending a lot of money. They're putting a lot of, uh, a lot of paper into the, into the uh, environment. And, uh, and it's not working and it's a lot of money. So somebody's winning, but it's not diabetes, <laughs> which is my cause that I care about because my wife's a diabetic and, uh, and it's not her. So that, that, that pissed me off as a donor and as just, just a human. So was that a lot too long winded there? No, oh, well, no, I didn't that, tell you. So, <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. I didn't tell you the no, end well, of the story, but go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. Keep going. It's just it's good that it's interesting that you kind of came at it from both sides. You know, you had the experience on the fundraising side of just like the hamster wheel of just like running and running and running and like, man, this is like we're not we're not generating as much as we need to or should. And then also on the donor side, you know, to just see like, man, like these communications aren't very great. And then to yeah. hear from the nonprofit that, yeah, it's not really working either. Like this whole equation isn't great. 
Well, yeah, and, uh, and, and the equation is basically one of interruption, annoyance, irritation, you know? So w- w- with my cousins, like we have to go annoy all our friends and family members and everybody <laughs> around the world, anybody and anybody, and we just pester everybody to, to do this like golf tournament and then do this dinner and then donate. And then when there's auction and we had someone come in and shame everybody at the auction and make everybody feel uncomfortable and bid on stuff, it's just it's awful, man. It's awful. So, and on the fundraising, you know, with the diabetes group, they're just pelting everybody with emails and spam and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, no, I didn't like it. And and when I found out what they were doing and what they really needed, it's just highly Mm. qualified leads. And that's where I was like, well, hold on, hold on. You know, I'm a marketing guy and, and that's what I do. I generate highly qualified leads for big sales. That's what this is. You need to get in touch with people who want to be in touch with you and connect in the middle so that you guys can collaborate and uh, facilitate a deal. That's what you need. I can do that for you. No problem. She, and at first, she's like, well, you know, this is fundraising. This isn't marketing. It's different. I was like, bullshit. Oh, by the way, can I curse? <laughs> you can bleep that you out, can right? Now. You can now. You can now, yeah. <laughs> I have a habit. Yeah. But uh, it, uh, yeah, it's passion, okay? So, so that's what we did. I, I ended up generating tons and tons of leads for her. Uh, almost immediately, another, interestingly, it was a guy who's a philanthropist here in the D.C. area, big philanthropist, happens to be my insurance broker, belongs to the country club and everything. And, you know, that I, 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 we knew each other. I know this guy who, who got the email because his son's diabetic and he ended up forwarding it to another humongous diabetes charity who called me up instantly and said, we want the same thing. So there, uh, all of a sudden I got two customers that I'm not helping for free, but you know, yeah, I mean, eventually I ended up charging them. And, uh, next thing you know, I was like getting referred to other charities and thought, well, this will be a better business for me because I was, I kind of had enough with generating leads for people uh, so they could sell roofing. And so then by solving this really, you know, big tangible problem, boom, you got yourselves a new, <laughs> you got yourself a new business. So uh, for people who, who may not be familiar, I, you know, I don't want to go all the way into like your business model. I want to spend more time talking about engagement fundraising, but those two overlap big time. So just, you know, how do you go about generating these leads and, you know, um, not being that annoyance, disturbance, interrupter, but still, you know, creating the case for support and engaging with donors. Uh, share a little bit about how you go about doing that. Yeah, it's it's funny because it didn't exist until I came up with the system, but it's so simple. It's so damn simple. So we start usually with a survey and we just ask people, we invite people, we don't even ask them, we invite them to lean in and tell us about their wants, needs, desires, passions, their life story, their interests, how they might want to give, what they might want to fund, who inspired them to give, what was her name, you know, on and on. And on. We get, we, we invite them to lean in and tell us all about themselves. Then we automate the cultivation process because our system spawns cultivation emails using AI, everybody, artificial intelligence, it's, you know, but it's, it's, it's not, you know, people really over, overuse that phrase, but it takes what people said and what they wanted 
know? So, so we could send messages or maybe we don't send them messages because they said, you know what, here's my story, but I don't want any, any follow-up. Don't bother me. Okay. We don't bother them. But if they did opt in and about 85% of the survey takers opt in, but if they did opt in, then they get cultivation that uh, th- that a one fundraiser could never really do for a thousand or thousands of of leads, and over time the cultivation helps them move themselves through the consideration process until such time that they're ready, whereby they either ask the fundraiser to reach out to them so they can facilitate the giving. You know, because you really, at some point, unless you're just clicking the donate now button, if you want to make major impact, you need to talk to somebody and they're go- they want to, but they don't want to until they're ready and they decided they want to do it. So long story short, the system essentially helps people move themselves through the consideration process is sort of the inverse of moves management where, which I don't really like that phrase where people think that uh, you're, you as a fundraiser are supposed to move the donor through, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's really friggin' offensive that, that, that that's what we're, you know, you're not gonna, you can never move anybody to make a decision. That's called persuasion. And, and, and I mean, it's even worse than persuasion. It's just not nice to think of it that way. What you want to do is you want to provide value and make people want to make the decision on their own. You want to you want to give them the opportunity. You want everybody to say that was my idea. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's funny because we talk a lot in the fundraising space about, you know, one-to-one personal relationships and donor empowerment, but then a lot of our kind of tactics and strategies and things that are promoted are not very donor empowered. You know, they're not very relational. And so there's like this huge, you know, disconnect. And so again, I think, you know, your approach is, I mean, it's brilliant, but it's also very simple, right? <laughs> like, it, let's it, ask well, you it, what what you want and let's feed it back to you. And then when you're ready, if you want, you know, we have the option, you can contact us and you can, we can get in touch. Like, then you can give on your own time, which is really what fundraising is. Here's the difference. Number one, it requires patience. And Mm. number two, it requires a complete buy-in to the 80-20 rule. So in other words, if you know, and it's really more like 90-10 now. So if you know, and and you better know this because it really applies to every charity pretty much. If you recognize that 90% of your revenue is really going to come from about 10% of your supporters – which it probably is, then you have to be patient with getting more of those or getting those people to to double, triple, quadruple their giving. Now, because leadership, board members, and everybody else are not patient enough to really develop the relationship in a way that, that is accommodating to the donor of a major, major impactful gift, a considered sale is what we call it in the private sector because you you might not have that kind of patience. You do the one to many and you kind of do the spray and pray and, and figure, well, let's just try and, you know, let's just try and beat it out of them. 
you know, and I'm not saying you, I know you guys, you guys, um, you guys have a job to do in, in the, um, acquisition world. It's very hard. It's very easy for me to sit out here on my ivory tower, getting people to just to dive in once is really, really, really hard. And I'll be honest, I don't know. I don't know much about that acquisition world. We benefit from lists that, that you guys have built. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. I think the the hardest thing of any kind of whether you're selling something or, you know, fundraising is getting people to take that first step, you know, going from zero to, to 10, you know, once once they're yeah. at 10, they're kind of in motion. And then, you know, taking them from 10 to 20, 20 to 30, like then it gets a little bit easier. But taking them from not knowing who you are, not caring about your cause, not knowing your organization to caring uh, and even that first kind of, you know, gift or spark point by far, you know, that's kind of the, the hardest thing. And for sure, it's a uh, it's a challenge, but it is interesting that you know that ninety ten or eighty twenty applies to almost every organization. We're seeing it flipped a little bit for some smaller, younger organizations that are like really digital heavy from day one. You know, they can yeah. scale in some ways that other organizations can't. But for the most part, you're right; that's true. But the disproportionate use of resources, um, not just like in, in humans, but often it's like we, our our major gifts team is humans, and then all of our like website and marketing and stuff so, like that's. That's, uh, you know, digital and it's not focused on this high, high, high value segment. You know, there's this big disconnect. Like, why do you think that is? Like, why aren't people spending more resources on not humans on these high value donors? Yeah, well, there's a whole bunch of reasons, um, and and that's actually a topic I could talk on for a while. And I hate to sound like I'm beating up all these organizations. Uh, it, it's not that. I actually have empathy for them. I have a lot of empathy. But at the same time, uh, uh, they tick me off. Okay, so <laughs> here's what I mean: is it's sort of a deficit in leadership, frankly. Too many organizations hire leaders who love to give money away, but really don't want anything to do with acquiring it. So you, you can't you can't have that. You just can't run an organization where where they love to give other people's money away more than they love to build the relationships with those people to get them to give the money. And they don't they don't treat those people all that well. They they I've even heard executive directors and CEOs of, of nonprofits to say say they ought to give, you know, things mm. like that. So indignant, so so uh, so dis, it's frankly disgraceful, you know. Mm. That they, they think that donors ought to give, and then if if I look in the data, which I get to do, I see that that CEO doesn't give anything. What's that all about? You get paid five hundred grand a year, and they can't even make a donation. Or sometimes uh, you'll you'll have like a board member who says, "Well, I give my time, so I'm not going to give my money." I I I I was at a board meeting, and I don't go to these anymore because <laughs> they won't invite me. But I'm like, so you can't even give five bucks? Like, what are you saying? You can't. What do you mean you can't give? Of course you could give. <laughs> you give your time. I don't give my money. What a crock. <laughs> so I think uh, a lot of it, unfortunately, is is leadership, mm-hmm. and and sadly, something happens with these board members. Like they go Looney Tunes when they join the board. They forget <laughs> that all their business common sense that they had to build their own business, knowing damn well that it's the eighty twenty rule that built their business. But when they get on a board, everything changes. They're looking to their left. They're looking to their right. They're looking across the table and they're wondering, how do I look to these other people? 
and and it becomes some kind of ego whack thing. I don't know what's going on with that, but they make weird decisions. They don't make the right decisions a lot of times. I'm not saying every nonprofit, but too many, way too many. Hey everyone, Brady here, back to the interview and episode in a second, but I want to let you know about something new we're doing at Next After in terms of in-person workshops and training. You can go to nextafter.com slash training to learn more, but basically we have these full-day workshops where you can get certified, you actually have to write a test, on things like Facebook advertising, email optimization, or donation and landing page optimization. So if you're looking to get uh, your hands dirty and go a bit deeper in the world of online fundraising, maybe these workshops are for you. We'd love to see you, and you can learn more again at nextafter.com slash training. That's nextafter.com slash training. Back to the show. Yeah, it is an interesting uh, phenomenon. You can have these, you know, brilliant business people, super successful, and they step in a, a nonprofit boardroom and start making these wacky <laughs> decisions and kind of forget what what they knew. It's it's pretty interesting. So already we've talked about, um, you know, potential failure of leadership, uh, whether that's the ED CEO or the board. Uh, we've talked about a lack of complete buy-in. Um, you know, a couple other things that I've seen at least, you know, there's like a they're so resource constrained organizations, whether it's time or money, that it's like, just give me a solution and I'll do it. So that patience factor, we've talked yep. about those. What are some other challenges that you've encountered? Because I'm sure anyone who's trying to come up with a new way to do things or an innovative idea internally or externally are running into these barriers. What are what are some other challenges that you've encountered, you know, working with nonprofits in this kind of different method? Well, have you ever heard of the Milgram experiment? <laughs> I ha- I have not. You haven't. Okay. Um, um, let me see how I can explain this. I'll, a, a couple ways. One is, uh, you know what road rage is, right? <laughs> yes. Like, like I once had a little old lady flip me off. Like I made a mistake. I made a mistake. You know, I went a little too far into the intersection. I made a mistake. I felt bad. I was about to like kind of make m- motion that I apologize. I'm sorry. But she flipped me off. <laughs> you know, <laughs> little old lady, right? And, you know, if she could have rammed her car into me, she probably would. All of a sudden, when you're in your car, you get all these muscles. You know, you're you're a powerful individual and you don't care about the other human being. It's weird. It's like Iron Man. You're in an iron suit or something. So so that's road rage. Right. Now, the Milgram experiment was done, gosh, I don't know how old it was, maybe in the, in the, in the 50s, 60s. It was the 60s. And they had to stop the experiment because uh, it was like at Yale University and they basically like put a person in a room and then they put – these are students. They put a student in, in a room and they, they, they hooked him up to this shock, electroshock machine with another student there, you know, another student and, and, and like some, some doctor in a lab coat, right? And then when they're done hooking him up, they go into another room and then they close the door and you can't see. You can't see this poor guy who's got the shock stuff on, right? And then the doctor – or the professor or whoever wearing a white lab coat says to the other, the other student, okay, go ahead and uh, ask him a question. And he asked the question and he got the question wrong. So then the, the kid next to the, the professor, you know, he goes, okay, shock him. <laughs> and the, and the, so he shocks him. Right. 
Now, they kept turning – with each wrong question, they kept turning up the, uh, the, um, the energy, you know, higher and higher and higher to the point where, like, the guy's screaming in the other room saying, I'm dying, right? And then the, 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 the kid with the doctor, professor, whatever, I, I'd have to look back at what – you know, they, he says, look, you must continue. You must continue. And, and he did. In most of the, almost every time, the student with the finger on the buzzer would, would potentially shock the other person. Now, just so you know, the person in the other room was an actor. He wasn't really dying. It was all just to see, would someone be obedient because there's an authority figure saying to do it, right? Hmm. Now, this is essentially in, uh, w- what happened in the Holocaust. You know, how you wonder, like, how can these soldiers, like, kill all these people? Well, they, they were obedient, you know, and I'm not making excuses for them. I'm the last one who should. I'm Jewish. But mm-hmm. they, they, there's a disease in the mind, if you will. There's a, we're human and we follow instructions. And, uh, and so what I'm trying to tell you though, is, okay, you got a board, you're probably like, where the hell is he going with this? Right. (laughs) So you got a board of directors. They're completely distanced from, uh, from the donors. And they may even say, well, I don't want to ever fundraise. I just want to tell, tell the organization what to do. All right. (laughs) I mean, you you know, you should be a donor. So Mm -hmm. you know what it feels like. Number one, number two, you've got a leadership. Uh, that that needs to accommodate the board of directors. Plus, they want to they want to get the mission done, which is good. I mean, they're do-gooders in a way, but they're also sometimes too far distanced from the donors. So then they go to their marketing and communications department, the fundraising department, and they say, "Okay, blast out another email." Well, it doesn't matter if somebody says, "You know, someone's dying over there. They hate these emails. They they're complaining." Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You must comply, they say. You must do it. Just click that button. Spam them. Hit them. Send them, send them more junk. Do it. And, and so they comply. They have nowhere else to go. They need their job. So I think this is, uh, you know, not quite like road rage. It's not quite like the, St- the Stanley Milgram experiment. But I think it, it, it is worth considering, like, what are we really doing here? And who's listening to the donor? Who's really feeling empathy for the donor? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, what, what you're getting at is kind of like a lack of options, too. It's kind of like, well, what else am I going to do? You know, even if they didn't want to click that button or be obedient. It's kind of like, well, what else, what else is there to do? You know, I'm out of options. I got to do something. You got to buy the book, engagement fundraising, bro. (laughs) There you go. That's what you got to do. (laughs) Uh, You know, you've touched on empathy a few times and, and obviously like, you know, we connect on many levels, but one, I mean, that's, that's what, what we do in our research. Like that's why we go out and make 150 donations or 345 donations to these nonprofits and categorize and classify the experience because we're, we're, we see that problem all the time for fundraisers. Like you are not your donor and you have basically no real ability to be that. What, even if you wanted to, you know, curse of knowledge, you know too much. Like you just – you aren't your donor. So how do we step into their shoes because that's really, really difficult because without it, 
then we don't see that this email is really crappy. <laughs> you know, and that's one of the other things is people conflate like email volume or communication volume and, and the problem, but no one thinks about quality. Like if you send me a great email that's valuable or personal or relevant, like you can send me an email every day and it's great. If you send me a crappy email, you can send me one every like quarter and I'll hate it. It's, yep. a, you know, we get so hung up on volume without thinking about quality. And I think that, you know, bringing it back to your book in particular, like that's what you're trying to do by getting the donor involved is saying, what is it that you want to know or hear or understand? And then let us deliver quality content that engages you based on what you want, right? Yeah, well, this is basic marketing. And I, you know, I go back to the beginning <laughs> when she told me that marketing and fundraising were different. Now I understand mm. why she said that is because fundraising is all about pummeling people. <laughs> in, until they bleed money. Well, no, it's not actually. Marketing no. and fundraising are the same and it's not about pummeling people. It's about finding out what they need, what they want, what they desire, what are their interests and so on and and giving it to them. This is about creating a personalized value experience. This is why Amazon is so, so powerful and so successful. I mean, when you go on Amazon, they know everything about you. They know where you've been shopping. They know what ads you've been clicking on online. And, you know, they know so much about you. And, and when you start searching for something, they're going to give you ideas of other stuff you can buy. And then when, they, when you get the box, you get, a, you get a smile on the box. Sometimes, you know, the next day it's right there. It's such a great value proposition. They give you mm -hmm. everything you want. And, and the thing about fundraising that I think a lot of people overlook is that it's about finding out the value that the donor wants, each individual donor, and then giving it to them or at least giving them an opportunity. This is the other thing. For, I mean, yes, I talk a lot about empathy, but it's all about the law of reciprocity. It's that fundraisers and nonprofits need to give, give ex exponentially more to their donors. Mm. Massive mm. amount. The law of reciprocity is amazing because if mm -hmm. you give to someone, they, and this is human, this is all around the world and for, for millennia, if you give to someone, they don't just reciprocate in, in like kind. They, they usually reciprocate in exponential measures. Does that make sense? Like mm -hmm. you give them a little gift, they, they, they give you a much bigger gift. They do something better. I don't know why that is. That's just what we do. You know, you, in fact, with um, address labels, you know, so you mail someone address labels that cost a penny and then they send you a hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a whole conversation around, you know, perks and premiums, but for sure around the value and and as in our space, the digital space, the space that you and I, you know, mainly travel, the the options in terms of providing value are like unlimited to some degree. Exactly. You know, like we we create a lot of like online courses because a lot of like boomers and retirees are like desperate for online learning, and it's like, man, nonprofits have so generally a lot of them have a lot more content than they think. And it's like, you know, you could create a little course, you can shoot a video, you can have this like little ebook about your subject. And like that's providing value to some degree. You don't have to just send them coffee mugs, you know. You can bring value to yep. people without giving them more crap. 
Um, well, generally in this day and age, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, and then it, that, no, that just taps into the, the reciprocity value, which we see that works all the time. Yeah, yeah, and and with technology, boy, you can deliver a lot of value in a very personalized and relevant way, and immediately. And then people can use it in a time and place of their their choosing. Sending them a mug is not really going to do the trick. And plus, they they look at it as you wasting money. But if you send them a opportunity to watch a video of a little girl getting a sandwich when she's hungry or or a family getting a new home and, and you get to watch people build it. Or, or you, you get a yearbook sent to you from your alma mater that you just lost yours and, and they send you a digital version and it's shareable on Facebook. I mean, you're right. It's limitless what you can do to add value and involve people and make them feel good. Yeah. Yeah. The other, um, the other key thing around kind of, um, you know, understanding, providing value. And I know, you know, we've talked about this before too, but you got to also test and, and track because donors will lie to you without even knowing, <laughs> right? They'll say, I'm interested in this or don't send me this. And that that's a data point. It's valid. It's what they feel or what their opinion or what they're saying. But that's where experimentation is also needed to kind of figure out what do donors actually respond to? Because it's often not exactly what they say that they'll respond to. So that's another key component uh, well, of this type of approach. This is what I love about what you guys do, because I don't know if there's anybody who rolls up their sleeves the way you guys do with as far as testing and figuring out what really works. I, I think there's a lot of people out there, you know, blowing smoke saying they know or going by, but they don't really know. They don't really know. And there's all kinds of uh, old wives tales and orthodoxies that just need to be blown out of the water. Because they they either don't work or they're just passed on at conferences and then lead you know it's a blind leading the blind and that 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 wastes money that wastes time it's not fair to the donors again I'm the, I'm the mm-hmm. defender of the donor here put on a cape I'll fly defend the donor any day yeah yeah well and I mean um, you know t- Tim who's our, our founder he says that the only expert in the world on giving are donors <laughs> not fundraisers. <laughs> You know, we're, we're trying desperately to understand donors. The only experts in giving are donors. And the yeah. only way to understand giving is to understand donors. So we all have to defend and fight for and empathize with donors. That's what we have to do. So um, on that note, I mean, we could go on and on and on. But I want to talk a little bit more just about kind of generosity more broadly. This is the generosity freak show after all. And you are clearly a freak, Greg. Uh, so this <laughs> is a great fit. <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, how do you personally define uh, generosity? Well, I mean, it, it's 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 really simply just giving. It's all about giving. I like to give. It makes me feel good. Guess what? Same thing with your donors. They actually get hooked on it. We all know the science by now. You know, I mean, it it, it launches chemicals and and everything. It make people want to give. It's it's part of our humanity. So um, it's really just about giving. Uh, as a person who spent their life around giving, I like that. Um, <laughs> so and then, you know, beyond uh, kind of, you know, hiring you or hiring us, which isn't what this podcast is about, how can we grow uh, generosity or optimize or improve that generosity or giving experience? Yeah. So it's this is, again, focusing on the 80-20 Meaning, you know, um, of course, this is beyond acquisition, but once you uh, acquire 
a donor, a supporter, an advocate, a member, whatever is the on-ramp, you've got to uh, constantly survey them and monitor their digital body language, meaning what are they doing online? Also, and, and the survey tells you what they, what they say, which isn't always what they do. So to improve and optimize generosity, essentially, you've got to do your research. And this is, this is where the, the sector also goes wrong. They, they take a left turn. Everybody wants the easy research. Give me the wealth screening. Let's find out who's wealthy. What a crock. You know, just because they're wealthy doesn't mean a damn thing. You got to find people with passion and you can't find out their passion from wealth screening. Sorry. So find out their passion by surveying them and giving them an opportunity to provide feedback and then deliver value to them in the way that they see it. Value is only true. It's in the eye of the beholder. It's in the eye of the beholder. So you, you have to deliver value in line with the way that they believe value is, 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 is what they're looking for. So you align that, you do that, that builds trust. That builds trust. And then you've got to be consistent about it. Build trust, build confidence, show them what you're doing with the money. Tell them what you're doing with their information show them how they can be the hero in their own life story and make impact. Okay. All this, all this makes them feel good and then provides value for them because then they say, okay, okay, this is my charity. Not because, not only because of my life story and everything like my wife has diabetes. So that's part that, that right. But I can hardly find a diabetes charity that I want to give to because they don't give back to me in any way. They don't tell me what they do with their money. They don't tell me, or my money. They don't tell me what, I, uh, what I've accomplished. They don't tell me what they did with my data, although I'm pretty sure that they're selling it to other charities. <laughs> because, you know, if I misspell my name, all of a sudden I'm getting mailers, you know, or if I put in my middle initial, you know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that they're selling your data to their competition. Like what are the, how many, what, what are they making? Seven cents off my name and they had to destroy the whole relationship and, and destroy my trust because they sold my name. It's so be nice to people. Just be nice to donors. Treat them like you would treat your own mom for God's sakes. <laughs> Have I said enough? I hope I didn't just destroy your podcast and everybody unsubscribed. <laughs> <laughs> Some people no, don't like that. They don't like to hear the truth. No, I, again, that's why I've always enjoyed our conversations. And and the key, I think, the key point of of all, many points that you made in there. One of them, I think, is that it, it's not just one thing. Like, how do we grow and optimize generosity? It's not just like, oh, do this one thing. Like these these things all need to work together. We need to better understand donors. We need to be more transparent. We need to communicate more effectively. You know, it's not just one thing that will just unlock you know generosity and it'll make a skyrocket. It's a bunch of things, and it's a bunch of hard work. It really is. Um, so anyways, that, that is, that's more than enough for today, I'm sure. We'll, <laughs> maybe we'll have to have you on and we'll just have like a riff off where we'll just like ask, uh, you know, questions and just let you go. <laughs> well, lately, a lot uh, of people keep calling me and asking me to help them understand how to set appointments with donors because uh, apparently nobody's teaching that. So uh, I am and, uh, and, uh, and I, 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 I 
pretty good at setting appointments. So um, maybe huh. we'll do that one next. Sure. <laughs> There's a teaser. <laughs> All right. There you go. Um, where, where can people learn more about you and your book and your work? All right. So – Tons of tons of free resources. There's a calculator. There's all kinds of free webinars and 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 research and stuff on my website at iMarketSmart. That's a letter I, iMarketSmart.com. Uh, they can find the book there as well. There's a book page. It's called EngagementFundraisingBook.com. And then, of course, there's the fundraising report card, which is our product that's free, in fact, for nonprofits under uh, 5,000 uh, donors. It's very inexpensive for others, but uh, the fundraising report card is a visualization tool that helps nonprofits really see uh, their data and see the trends and um, make uh, smart decisions based on them. So uh, Google fundraising report card, dot com uh or just type that in and and you'll find it awesome well thanks again greg for coming on the show awesome thank you all right hope you enjoyed that conversation with greg and uh, his passion uh for what he does and for the space and uh, it's a really interesting model and idea in a lot of ways of you know let's ask people what they're interested in and let's Give them content um, based on what they're interested in. And again, if we can layer in that extra level of kind of testing to make sure what they say they're interested in is actually what they're interested in, uh, then we can become a lot more knowledgeable in terms of what donors really are wanting um, in terms of content and where their engagement is. And it makes sense. You know, one of the hardest things to understand in the donor fundraiser relationship is kind of when. We maybe can understand why someone cares or kind of what they support or give to, but it's really, really hard to know when uh, that person may be ready or most engaged. So if we can use kind of analytics and content, some things that you know we do, but some things that uh, Market Smart and their software does, it can help give you an indication of when someone might be in a good place to have a conversation or go deeper in that relationship. So really interesting, interesting stuff that uh, Greg is up to, and he always has a, a pretty strong perspective, which I appreciate. So I hope you appreciate it as well, and I know that I appreciate you uh, listening to this podcast. So thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week. Hey, this is Brady, and I just want to say thank you for listening to the Generosity Freak Show. If you want to get all future episodes, please be sure to subscribe at generosityfreakshow.com, or you can just search the Generosity Freak Show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. So if you have comments, questions, feedback, you can email us at podcast at nextafter. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, the Generosity Freak Show is produced by Next After, where I work. Next After is an online fundraising research lab that works with nonprofits to help them grow their online fundraising. And our mission is to unleash the most generous generation in the history of the world. You can learn more about us and what we're up to and see our latest research at nextafter.com. Lastly, this show would not be possible without my co-host, Tim Kuchuriak, and our amazing mixologist and producer, Nathan Hill. So many, many thanks to them. So thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week 